Amen. Good morning, Solano. My name is Paul, and I have the privilege of reading today's scripture, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to open up your Bibles and read along with me. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. Thanks, Paul. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to hear the word of God, just even read to us, right? Um, even though I'm going to be like talking about it and elaborating and all this stuff, at the heart of it is the, the true beauty that God speaks, shares his word with us, and we get to hear it spoken to us. So I, I, I'm deeply thankful for all the people who do read scripture for us every morning. Um, my name is Martin. I'm uh, Solano's operations director. I've been here for six years now. It's sort of crazy. It's been a rough six years, right? <laughs> A lot of things happen, but um, I'm so glad to be here. And when I look on at your faces, I'm glad to know, like most of you guys, and be able to live life with you and get to know you, know about your family, know what's going on in your lives, and be able to share in the community that we share in Christ together. Um, so today's sermon is the last of our Advent series um, called A Light in the Darkness. And today's sermon is called The Light That Shines. And before I get going, let me pray for us and... We'll start. Uh, Lord, Holy Father, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much that you are our light, that though we often find ourselves in darkness, we can have a real hope, Lord, that you are glorious, you are beautiful, and that you engage us. So, Lord, I pray um, this morning that you would fill this space Fill our own hearts. Um, let even the darkness that we're so afraid to show to, to someone else, even to ourselves, Lord, I pray that um, your light would shine and cleanse us and make us more like you. So be with us, and in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, as we're going through this series, and as we're, we've gone through uh, uh, the series, The Light and the Darkness, we've had this anticipation of Advent. But we've also focused on the lamenting, on the sad side of what we're going through. And to try to bring up the, the real desire that we have for Christ's return. Okay? Um, and as we've just finished Christmas and going, gone through this week, I'm hoping that some of you guys had the opportunity to get together with your families. Um, you shared gifts, shared good meals together. Um, and it sort of builds up into this wonderful crescendo, right? You're coming, everything's like working. Oh, it's such a great time. Um, and for Advent, it's the same thing that we're desiring. It's like we, 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 does, we are longing, and we, as we celebrate Christmas, we get to experience the fullness of, of the joy that we have because God cares. He became flesh for us and loved us and gave himself for us. And yet, when I think about Christmas sometimes, and especially after Christmas, during this period, like anticipating New Year's and the whole shebang that comes after that, um, and we start tearing down all the lights. You might look forward to your Christmas Eve activities. You might try to position yourself best for the new year. And you try to spend time with family, make things, like try to make it as merry as possible. But when I looked about my own past week, it was pretty weird, right? I, didn't, I wasn't expecting to go home to SoCal for, for Christmas because 
My brother was going to be flying out of town with his family. They weren't going to be there, but one of them got sick, so I ended up driving for 12 hours in the past week. Like, this is back and forth, not one way. <laughs> the 12 hours, um, I spent a couple days just doing family stuff, still trying to get some work in. I drove up, back up, went to the office for a day, did some work, realized there's, I can't do two days of work, I mean, a week of work in two days, and then I had to preach, prepare for the sermon, like all of these things, it made me feel a little just like life is just going on as usual. And as a Christian, it's, it's not the best to be an autopilot through Christmas, I think. I wish that it's a time that I could really engage with God, like meditate upon the greatness of who he is, on the incarnation and his love for us. But it just felt like I was going on to do the next thing that I just needed to do and just going through the motions. And there's a side of me that is conflicted, right? I'm both grateful and sad. I'm both excited and exhausted. I'm hopeful, but also weary at the same time. And I wonder if it's just me, because I'm a little like negative. I'm a little on the depressive side, that I'm the type to think too much. I think I know too much. And I find myself in a place often where just things don't make sense anymore, right? Um, there's this line by U2, one of their songs, that says, you miss too much these days if you stop to think, right? It's being sarcastic, so I try to fight against that, and I try to think too much all the time. But, um, so because of the sermon, I've been thinking a lot about light and darkness, right? On my drive up from LA, I left it relatively dark out, and driving, driving up the five, I just realized how dark everything is, right? Have you, don't do this, but have you ever turned off the light while you're driving 80 on the five? And there's no, has anyone done that before? Oh, good job, Brett. <laughs> Miguel, too. It's creepy, it's eerie, it's really strange because it's so dark and it's pretty dangerous and kids don't do this, right? <laughs> but it makes me realize like how little I can actually see, even with my lights on when it's dark out, right? I realize during the day, 100% visibility, arguably, right? But when I'm driving at night in darkness, even at the best of days, it's like 10% visibility, right? When some of y'all old people are like, I can't drive at night. Like, I sort of understand. <laughs> Maybe because I'm on there, but I sort of understand, right? There is a, the reality that when you're in darkness, you can only see so much. You can only see so little, right? And when I think that is sort of what I'm talking about. Like, if I'm honest, I feel like I sometimes can't see what's behind me. I can't see what's in front of me. It's hard to tell where I really am right now. Um, I'm, I get caught up in what the world wants from me, right? When through media or advertising, social media, um, what my friends want from me, what y'all want from me, right? My coworkers, my friends, my family. It's something, it's like, I don't know what you guys want, right? And it's also difficult um, to know even what I want, right? It, I feel like I'm in such darkness sometimes that I don't know, I can't see my left or my right. I don't know what's happening. Um, and even as a Christian, there's times when I do feel like this. Um, if you know this artist named Taylor Swift, <laughs> there might be a generational and gender gap here. I don't know if you guys listen to her, I do sometimes. And, but it, her songs are pretty fun, right? But have you actually listened to her lyrics? They're pretty dark, right? It's pretty dark. Let me, let me read some. This is from um, Antihero from her 2022 album, Midnight's. So we're not going to play it. I'm just going to read it. I'm not singing it. Um, this is how it reads, or how she, what she says. It says, I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Midnight becomes my afternoons. When, my, when my depression works, the graveyard shift, all the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. It's a tale as old as time. I take up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. It's me, hi. I'm the problem, it's me. Anyways, I'm the problem, it's me, right? I, I mean, but listen to those lyrics. Pretty dark, right? And. I'm just gonna go through, like this is from David Brooks. He wrote a book, he's a New York Times columnist, he wrote a book um, recently, and one of the interviews he says, 
There's all these terrible social statistics, like right now, this is from 2023, of rising depression rates, rising suicide rates. The number of people who say they have no close personal friends has quadrupled, declines in happiness. So you're in the middle of some social and emotional breakdown, right? This is from the 1940s Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He writes this letter to his friends and family after 10 years of being under Nazi rule. And he's being his nonconformist Christians are being persecuted, and he's involved in some plot to get rid of Hitler. They're being persecuted. And this is what he writes. He says, we have been silent witnesses of evil deeds. We have been drenched by many storms. We have learned the arts of equivocation and pretense. Um, experience has made us suspicious of others and kept us from being truthful and open. Intolerable conflicts has worn us down and even made us cynical. Are we still of any use? Right? When we look at our culture, it might not be as bad as Nazi Germany, but we, we see seeds of this. Right? Even here, 2023, 2024, 2023 in America. Right? And I go back one more time to the fourth century St. Augustine, and he writes, I have become a problem to myself, and that is the ailment from which I suffer. Right? When we look at our condition as humans, even though we're creating God's image, we feel darkness, we feel pain, we feel lostness. Okay? And to a degree, there's us trying to fight off our loneliness and the darkness of really being alone. Um, this is my last artist, uh, Billie Eilish. She, I love Billie. <laughs> Billie Eilish, she wrote a song for the movie Barbie, right? Again, pretty dark. Let me read it. This is from her song, What Was I Made For? She writes, I used to float, now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now. What was I made for? What was I made for? When did it end all the enjoyment? I'm sad again, don't tell my boyfriend. It's not what he's made for. What was I made for? Because I, I don't know how to feel but I want to try. I don't know how to feel, but someday I might. Someday I might. I think I forgot how to be happy. Something, something I'm not, but something I can be. Something I wait for. Something I'm made for. Something I'm made for. Right? There is that longing. There's that sense of lostness, again, that we really experience. And we experience this even in our own congregation over the past year. Right? Um, if we laid bare and opened the hurt and hardship that we've all gone through, the broken relationships, the burdens that we find ourselves bearing. And if you knew all of this was gonna happen at the beginning of 2023, like, would you be looking forward to 2023? Just like um, Jim talk, talked about. There's like, we've gone through a lot. There's people who have, who have passed away. There's people who, have, um, who are dealing with cancer that weren't a year ago, right? There's, turmoil within our own church and relationships and questioning what's going to actually happen. And through all of this, sometimes like Billy, I, th I hope we can just, it's going to be hard, but I hope we can just figure it out. We can just move on. And what's so sad is like, even with what's going on in Palestine and Ukraine, if we knew all this stuff was going to keep going, like how excited would we have been for the year? Um, and what sucks is that even when things are going well, the world is still dark. My community, my people that I know and care for, they're going through darkness. I'm dark within my own self. Like, we're all in darkness. And any number of things could rise up through the course of a week or a day that can throw things off that make you stressed and worried. It can escalate and, and put you in a bad spot. And through all of this, like, what can we really do, right? Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's against that background, in our confusion, in our darkness, in the state of our human condition, that God inspired John to write these words, right? I mean, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, that hope, right, 
some genuine hope despite everything that's going on in our own lives and in the world. So looking at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, it's an introduction to the book as a whole, and there's like a lot of poetic language that's in there. It's prose. It's, some people say it's so deep and beautiful that it can't really be like good theology. But there's others people who say it is actually deep, critical theology, that if you even change one word from the first five verses, you're going to drop into heresy, right? It's something that's so deep and, tr- and good and true. And I'm not going to be able to hit everything there. It's going to probably take days to do that. But I'm going to try to hit the big things that John is referring to. And one thing is, the one big thing is that it's an introduction to the capital W word, right? Um, word, or in Greek, it's logos, is a, it's saying that it is a person. The logos, or the word, points to the truth that it is the very nature of God to reveal himself. The word of God is his thought uttered so that men could understand it. Right? It's God making himself known and revealed. So I'm going to jump ahead a little and just say straight up that the word is referring to Christ himself. Right? It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, and the Son of God. And we're going to start making the connections right from here. Um, first off, it says, in the beginning was the word. So those words, in the beginning, where do you hear this in the Bible? Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, right? And it said that when um, the Jews would look at the Bible, they would know the Old Testament by the first like three words of that, of that, uh, of that book. So when John says, starts... The, the book of John with, in the beginning was the word. It's intentionally pointing back to the book of Genesis. Right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's Genesis chapter 1. And when we compare these three verses, we come to some profound statements. Okay? First off, it's that the word is God himself. So John in the beginning, John, from John chapter 1, again it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Genesis chapter 1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Right? So we can see here, if, you're, if you can make the connections, there's a direct Trinitarian work in place. Right? The Word, the Son, right? Jesus, God the Father, and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the earth, and the glory of who he really is, right? It sort of draws attention to the creative power that's in the Trinity in God himself. And it's, he deserves attention. I mean, the word deserves attention as God himself, okay? Um, what we also see is that the word is creator. And John, I'm reading the same verses, so it might sound repetitive, but there's some difference, right? Um, in the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Again, pointing out that it's through the word, through Christ, everything is made. In Genesis, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. As God speaks, things are created, right? Um, he says, let there be light, there's light. He says, um, separate, this, create the heavens, the heavens are created. That God does these things, and it actually happens. And it shows, again, God's creative power in the world. Um, so what we see there is that Jesus is the life bringer and the light bearer. We were created to know him and glorify him. It's God sharing with us who he genuinely is and how good he is. Um, I grew up as a Presbyterian, so that's like, I'm trained to know the Westminster Confession. Does anyone know the Westminster no. So the Westminster Confession is like a series of question and answers that goes over the theology of what, the, what Presbyterians actually believe. And the first question is, what is the chief end of man? Literally meaning, what is the ultimate purpose of humanity? And the answer to that is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay. I'll, in other words, it's the ultimate purpose of humans is to recognize how good God is. 
and to make much of him and delight in who he is forever, right? It's a sense of what, what we're created, like if we're answering what Billy wanted, it's to know that we're meant to glorify God and to know him and to worship him, okay? Um, so the next thing that we can see from these verses is that the word is light, life, and glory, okay? John chapter one, verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In Genesis chapter one, verse two says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? Some of the words that, like dark words that I see there is that without form and void, um, there's darkness over the face of, of the deep over the face of the waters. And these are all words, in, biblically, that usually refer to chaos, disorder, um, with things where there's no life, there's nothing really good there, okay? And, but when the word of God is spoken, it brings light into darkness, order to disorder, and life where there is no life, okay? A big thing to note here is that, have you ever thought of this? On, there's light on day one, but when was the sun created? On day four, right? So there's this, uh, there is that, that weird idea of what's going on here. How can there be light when there's no, no sun? And I'd argue that God revealing himself is the very glory of God, is the very light that's, that's shown in creation. Is God showing himself to us, which is so glorious, right, and so beautiful. And as God, um, and it's God making, revealing, it's God revealing himself and showing himself and making himself known that is what's glorious and radiant. It's light there, it's life there, it's his reputation that he's showing, and the darkness cannot overcome that glory, right? Um, but there's, a problem that comes after this. If you know the story, you know that God creates Adam and Eve, but they both fall, right? Um, and they, they do the one thing they're told not to do, is eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the right response at this time for a creator, I would argue, is that you should just be done with everything, right? To some degree, if you screwed up, if things aren't going the way that you designed and wanted to be, it should be like, we're just gonna start over, right? We're just gonna end this. But what God chooses to do is something different, right? Again, verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's darkness that comes into the garden, but God does not let that darkness overcome it, right? Um, in the Barbie movie, right? Bar I, I haven't seen the movie, I'm just gonna be honest. I just read like, I saw clips, read synopsis, all this stuff. It's pretty interesting, anyways. But the Barbie movie is about Barbie has an existential crisis because she realizes that she's a doll, right? Um, and by the end of the movie, she realizes that she wants to be a human being. Right? And she has a dreamlike, I think a dreamlike conversation, I saw this on YouTube, with the creator of Barbie, Ruth Handler, who actually created the Barbie dolls. And they have this conversation. This is Barbie wanting to be human. She says, she asks, do you give me permission to become human? Right? She's asking Ruth. And Ruth says, you don't need my permission. Barbie says, but you're the creator. Don't you control me? Ruth says, I can't control you any more than I can control my own daughter. I named you after her, Barbara. And I always hope for you like I hope for her. We mothers stand still so our daughters can look back and see how far they've come. So being human's not something I need to ask for or even want. I can just, it's something I just discovered that I am. And that's deep and poignant for Barbie, right? It, it seems, oh, we just need to be who we are. And for a doll to become human, maybe that's enough. But for humans to be who God really calls us to be and who we're really meant to be, it actually leaves us lacking, right? Um, we are created in God's image. We are who we are, but recognizing this but we also have to recognize our own fallenness and our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and our own selfishness. Um, unlike the relationship between Ruth and Barbie, God created us to know him, right? And to make much of him, to regard him highly, to love him, to enjoy him and, and his love, 
right? We're meant for that purpose. Um, John Stott, who is a, a pastor from Britain, from Britain, from England, says that God's order is that we put him first, others next, ourselves last. Sin is a reversal of the order. It's to put ourselves first, our neighbor next, and ourselves last. Ourself, wait, let's start over. Sin is a reversal of order. It's to put ourselves first, our neighbor next, and God somewhere in the background. Right? But... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God shows Adam and Eve grace, mankind grace, and at the heart of God is mercy, as Paul said a couple weeks ago. The darkness will not overcome his glory. Um, What we see as we continue on in the passage in verse 6, what we see here is God's, the glory of God's grace and mercy. Right. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Like Some commentators don't know why John is even brought up in this passage, but I would speculate, or it's, it's possible, let's say, that John is brought up to refer to as an old, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's brought up to show that all of the Old Testament is it's God's story up to this point. It's to show what uh, the gospel really is about. Um, in its simplest form, the Old Testament is about the coming Messiah, right? Jesus coming into this world. A term for this um, is seeing the Old Testament through the lens of God's redemptive history. Um, In every list, can I get that list of all the? Yeah. So so this this is stories from the Old Testament or instances. There's like the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, the covenant um, God makes to Abram, the family of, of Jacob, Exodus, the law, the promised land, the king, the exile, the return from the exile. Every instance of these, someone fails majorly, right? Every situation, it should be that, oh, I'm done with you guys. God should be like, I'm done with you guys, right? There's, there's no way I'm going to keep going with this. But God continues to save and show grace to, to the Israelites again and again and again over thousands of years, right? And through this... Um, it just sort of points us to John the Baptist himself, right? That the prophets, priests, and kings, all, like every character here, points witness to Christ himself, witness to the light. Though they weren't the light themselves, they pointed to the coming ultimate priest, prophet, or king, okay? As it says in John chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The big thing about Jesus is that he didn't come just to make a one-stop visit. He's been in the world since the beginning, right? He's been working through even these old biblical characters to show us who he really is, right? So this is like an encouragement to to all of us. If you've never read through the Bible, make a two- or three-year plan even to try to read through the Old Testament. If you want to get an update on, like, God's redemptive history through the Old Testament— Talk to me. I know Miguel's down for this. All our leaders will be willing to show you how God is working through all the major stories and the major characters in the Old Testament. And it helps us to really understand who God is, right, and the work that he's doing. Um, and we get to know the grace and mercy and the love of God and the glory of God. Okay. And again, through that, we see that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, there's, let's revisit Taylor Swift one last time. <laughs> like this anti-hero, same lyrics. It's, again, look how desperate, like how sad her situation, like we're us too, right? I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. Um, I should know this song. I end up in crisis, tell us all this time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because... You got tired of my scheming for the last time. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero, right? When I think about this song and Taylor Swift, I think for me, it's her looking at all her fans, 
praising her, thinking she's so great, but in the reality, her recognizing, I'm, I got problems, right? Why are you praising, like, rooting me for me so much? And I think it's often the same in our relationship with God, right? There's so much th- crap that we put ourselves through, that we put other people through, and we have to wonder, like, why does God even care, right? Why does he even want to support us? But God still does, right? He deals with us. He's patient with us. He roots even himself in us. And it culminates all in Advent, in his coming. Um, and it, the God's redemptive history that we talked about, that all points us towards Christ and the love and the care that he has for us. Um, this, as we continue on in John chapter 1, verse 11, um, we're going to see the glory of God that's revealed in the gospel. Okay. Verse 11 reads, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to bear, gave the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right. So what we see is that it's in the gospel that God is most glorified. Right? It's the glory of God in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is that Jesus gave himself to be an atonement for sinners, just like you and me. Right? Tim Keller, he's known for this line. He says that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, so that we could receive um, the blessings that only he deserves. Okay? And John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, right? Um, as I've been thinking about preaching this sermon, thinking about light this whole past week, I got a small solo stove. You guys know what solo stoves are? It's like the mess, a small one. And I was burning stuff, because I'm a pyro, secret pyro, not secret, maybe. Burning stuff on my balcony, it was sort of fun. Um, I thought about how the sun goes up and down every day, and to realize half the year we're in darkness, right? Uh, I thought about the time on on the Cal campus when all electricity went out, but there was like one light on Sprawl Plaza, and it was like, ooh, light. And everyone like just walking by was sort of amazing. Um, Random thing, I was in bed last week, just laying in bed, and I saw this bright light outside my window, and then a crash. I don't know what this is, right? Is it a meteor? I checked outside later in the morning, but anyways. I thought about Oppenheimer, right, the movie, and the nuclear explosion, where the whole, like, oh, that's got to be bright in darkness, right? And it was. But when I compare all of these things to the light of the gospel, nothing compares. Nothing's a fair analogy, right? It's something that's so radiant and so life-changing that it, it transforms those who see it. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about how all of us, we live in the shadow lands, Right? We live in the shadow of things, and we don't see the light for what it really is. And therefore, in some sense, we're just all lost in this world, trying to make sense out of shadows and things that are there. But the reality is, is that the gospel is a light that gives light to everything. Okay? It, it's the only thing that allows us to see what life really is about and what things really are. In verse 14 in John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's in the life and the death of resurrection, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that we see the brightness and the glory of God. We see God's character shining. Um, That's when his glory shines the brightest. The cross was God's endgame, right? Have you guys seen Avengers Endgame? It took 21 movies to get there, and it was just mediocre, right? <laughs> or at least in my opinion. It was, yeah, it was mediocre. But when we see how God has worked throughout all those years, and his endgame is something that's transformative. It's something beautiful, and that's like his magnum opus, right? That's his best work that he's ever done. And to really know who he is, you study that work. You look into it. And what's even... So amazing. Yeah, okay. What's even so amazing is that God does all of this for us, 
right? So that we get to share in his goodness and his glory. That we don't have to experience death. We don't have to experience rejection from him. Even the sorrows that we experience or the things that we hope for that we don't get to experience in this life. We know that God is gonna make everything good in himself. There's a promise that he makes in the gospel. Um, And from here, in the passage at least, John starts backtracking, going back. He goes back to verse 15 and says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before him because he was before me. Um, and then verse 16 reads, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. It seems like I just said those things. But John is actually reiterating things he's actually said before. And structurally, it's supposed to emphasize what's in the middle. Again, what the gospel is and what God has done through Christ. Um, So right now, what we live is in that denouement, right? It's the unraveling to understand because of what Christ has done, what does that mean for me? Right? What, how am I supposed to look at the world? How am I supposed to understand my own suffering and struggles? Right? And we see that throughout in the New Testament. Okay? The prime example, one of the prime examples of this light shining in darkness is through the conversion of Paul. Right? If you, um, he's also known as Saul at the time. He's persecuting Christians. And in, verse, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, if you don't know the story, but if you know it, let's just look at it again. Um, We see Paul going on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Um, Story progresses a little bit. Jesus shows, or I think Jesus shows up to, or an angel shows up to Ananias. Angel? Jesus? I don't remember. So Ananias talks to him, says, oh, go talk to uh, this guy, Saul. And Ananias is like, no, this guy persecutes Christians. What am I supposed to do? But he still goes regardless. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on on Paul, he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So even for Paul, he has to recognize this light. He goes blind for a few days even, right? And it's only after that that he's, he's healed and he's able to see. And we know for sure, if you know the story of Paul, you know that the, the way that he sees the world is he never sees the, same, the world the same way ever again. Everything has become transformed for him. And the truth for us that he realizes is that it's not, we're not saved. We don't have work, worth because of our work. It's not about us finding our identity in ourselves or believing in ourselves. That's all done with. Because what we really recognize is that what Christ has done is the light that we ought to live by. Right? Do we have an experience like Paul did of seeing a light, recognizing Christ, and that changing everything? It doesn't have to be a moment. It can be over a period of time. But being able to really see the gospel and see Christ and be like, oh, that's better than anything, right? That's better than anything I've ever had, anything that I ever want, right? And I can find my true satisfaction in my life and my joy in him. Um, I had quoted St. Augustine earlier, um, but what he said was actually a prayer. He says, have pity on me. He's talking to God as a prayer and heal me, for you see that I become a problem to myself, and this is the ailment from which I suffer. Right? A Romanian philosopher, secular philosopher, Emil Choran, once said about this quote, um, obviously God was the solution, and obviously none so satisfactory would be ever found again. Right? That, oh, because we're all atheists now, that we're not going to find something, we're always going to sit in this darkness and this lostness. But for us who believe like, we have tasted the goodness of God, right? We've seen the power of the gospel. We've enjoyed the warmth of his light. We know what he's accomplished for us. And because we are witnesses to that, we have a true life in Christ, 
right? In Jesus Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. The light sh shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer quoted him earlier. His last question of, are we still of any use? He actually continues, and he says, what we shall need is not geniuses or cynics or misanthropes or clever tacticians, but plain, honest, and straightforward men and women. Will our inward power of resistance be strong enough and our honesty with ourselves remorseless enough for us to find our way back to simplicity and straightforwardness? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen, seen God, the only God, who is in the Father's side, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And for us as believers, that's our simplicity and that's our straightforwardness. I mean, a real challenge that we all experience as Christians in the Bay Area is to, to really live in a post-Christian world, in a secular area like the Bay, um, is Christ really more than enough for us? The world offers us so much, right? It offers, if you compromise on this, you can have this. If you pursue this, you can get this. Um, but does a shining glory of God in the gospel signal with surety that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it? That there's something that's so much better, right, in Christ. Um, and the one thing that I'm going to finish off with is the glory of God, right? Billie Eilish asked the question, what am I made for? What was I made for? What was I made for? And like I said before, we were made to, to honor God, know his love, be enamored with him, and to enjoy who he is forever, right? And what about him? do we glorify? Like, what about him is so good to us? Um, is it because he's a creator? It is. He's a creator. We love him because he gave us everything that we have, right? Is it because he's our savior and a redeemer? Of course, because otherwise we wouldn't have life. I would be dead in my sins, right? Is it because he's my friend when I'm in need? This is all true. But like I said before, like, the big magnum opus of who, what God has done is all in the gospel. His greatest, again, career-defining work is to bring sinners into himself. So the gospel is his greatest act that most displays his glory, his love, his grace, his power, and who he is, and it shows like, the greatness of his reputation. And so what of, so those who believe in this, like the us, how do we respond to the gospel, right? It should make us glorify God all the more. We should be singing, we're up, when we're singing praise on Sunday morning, we should be going crazy, right? Because what God has done is so great, right? Um, we're, we're meant to be like a city on a hill that can't be hidden, uh, a light on a lampstand that's meant to be shining everywhere. It's they themselves as Christians, we ourselves as Christians are meant to radiate, right? The beauty and the light of Christ. Um, some people say, oh, like, we're like the moon, right? God, we reflect God's love. I argue that God goes a step deeper, right? He transforms you so that you actually radiate, right, the light, light and love of God. Um, and for us, what is so crazy to me that I always come back to is that each of you as believers are living, breathing, living examples of God's love, right? The, of the gospel itself. We're his magnum opus, right? We're like the little parts of it that when God looks at us, it's like, you guys, you're, that's amazing, right? That, that's a part of me there. And that the work I've done, like I've, I've done beautiful things to redeem and save you, right? And the, the reality that we could be people who share the gospel, who, t who share God's love with others, and we have the ability to do that is mind-blowing. Right? But that's what it means for us to be glorifying God and enjoying him, is fully embracing our identity as his, um, his, his magnum opus, right? his best work and his love for us. Okay? Um, and 
one last, like, as this goes on, um, in Revelation chapter uh, 21, 23, this, I, this is beautiful too. It, it just points back to Genesis chapter one. It says, and the city, this is talking about the kingdom of God and the city in heaven, as the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Right? It's the full reality that everything God has been doing from the beginning and, and into eternity is for him to show his glory for us and for us to participate in the joy and the life that we have in him that he shares with us. Okay. Um, let me jump through some, go through some applications real quick. Pretty big ones. Um, first off, it is the unity that we share as believers. Um, I am single. I'm in my mid-40s at this point. I'm never married. I have no kids. I'm a Korean-American. I immigrated to Korea from the States, right? I live culturally there. I have a twin brother, right? Um, I live in Berkeley. I work for a church. Does anyone share those? These, those things are pretty important to me. Does anyone share all those characteristics in this room? Right? Even the Koreans here, Korean men, there's going to be things that we we're just not on the same page. right? And when I think about what our unity really is and why we're all in this room together, it's, I don't, it's, it's hard to make sense of it. But the thing that actually obviously binds us together is that we've all seen the light of Christ, right? We've experienced his glory, his redemption, and that's actually what unites us. And that's the same transformation that we've all shared. Um, it, de it defines your past, my past, your present, my present, and your future and my future as well. So the encouragement that I have for all of us is that let's know this light even better, right? As a church, for us to grow together, we might want to share the same activities. I give, I give coffee beans to people and like wine sometimes. And it's, sometimes it's just an effort to make friends. Sad. But <laughs> at the core of it, at the heart of it, is like a desire to, to share life together in Christ. Right? is to have the same light of Christ that we've all experienced, the glory of God that works in us, that we all share. I want us to have that unity, and God wants us to have that unity. So our encouragement is go deep with God. Right? Go into depth of who God is. If you haven't been reading the Bible recently, go deep into the Word. Um, read some books. Read with other Christians if you're not doing that. If you're only reading at church, make some space to do that on your own. Um, dig deep to dwell deep. And that's actually how we grow together as a community. Be willing to talk about spiritual things. I know it's even awkward for me to really go into it and talk about, like, I don't like it when people use Christianese all the time, but sometimes there's no way to break out of Christianese unless you're really well-versed in, um, in what those, those concepts and ideas really are. So I say it's like playing jazz. Like, I don't play jazz. I don't really play any instruments. But the conceptually, you have to really know your chords. You got to know the music well to be really able to play jazz. So I'm encouraging you again, let's go deep, right? We might stutter at times about trying to talk about our faith, the things that we're going through, the struggles that we might be having in a Christian context. But let's talk about spiritual things more and not encourage each other to do that. Um, also, for a lot of us who've been Christians for a long time, who may have gifts as teachers, as disciples, but aren't exercising those gifts now, um, I would also encourage you, there are so many people, even within our church, who need a discipler, who need someone to go through the word with them and instruct them and help them. And an encouragement, like a, it's more than encouragement, it would be an exhortation to us who have that experience Let's really seek out what it is that God is calling us to, right? Um, Paul had brought up the spiritual gifts a few, like a few months ago and about how teaching is like a very important, it's a big one. And we need that in our, in our church. We need that, especially for our younger believers, for us to really grow mature in our faith. So I would say, if you want to serve, if God is convicting you, or if you want to be discipled, fill out one of the connect cards, right? And put it in the brown box in the back, and we'll get more information for you to be able to do that. Um, and lastly, this is like a hard one for me to say too, but it's to really understand that the world that we live in is in darkness, 
right? As much as there's talk about deconstructing Christianity, there is a side of it where we need to deconstruct the world as well, right? Um, our current culture believes that we make God in our own image. Religion is a human construct. We attribute human characteristics to God, all the rules and laws that we have. It's just us um, trying to espouse certain values or standards that are just what humans came up with. And thus saith the Lord, it's just to keep people from questioning things, right? But the reality is there's no Jesus in that. There's no gospel in that. And the thing that we've got to understand, again, is that there's so much idolatry that goes on in our culture. Um, we have to be okay as Christians of not getting what we want, right? That's so hard in this culture because we're promised that if you work hard enough, if you're creative enough, if you have enough money, put enough time and effort into it, you'll get what you want, right? Um, but it's to really understand that Jesus is better than affluence or influence. He's better than experiences or having things. He's better than even health or relationships. Jesus is better than family and friendships. He's better than pietism or even sexuality, right? There's American idols like independence, individualism, the meritocracy, freedom of choice, our optimism, ingenuity. Like these aren't bad things in and of themselves, right? But if we make them ultimate things or if we think these things can solve our problems, right, that we face, then we're, um, we're not turning to God, right? We're, not, we're forgetting the light of the gospel that he's already, he's already shown us and what he's already accomplished for us. And so... The core heart of it is um, we need to really look to God and to the gospel of what he's done for us. Um, so the challenge I have for us is to look upon the glory of God, right? Upon his son, upon the gospel. Look at the kingdom of God and what that means. Um, praise him, honor him, right? Dwell richly in him. Abide intimately with him, um, says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And I love this verse. The light shines in the darkness, and the dark does not overcome it. So all glory be to God. Um, as we end this time, I have some prayer topics that are going to be up there. Can you, yeah, they might be a little too small, but let me read them to you. Um, these are things we're going to spend a couple minutes to really think about and pray about. I realized when I was writing this, it's not really asking God for things. It's mainly having a conversation with God, right? Initiate those things. Um, so here's some prayer topics that you can pray for. Ask, ask God to reveal areas of your life you're keeping from his transforming glory. What are you hiding from God? Okay. Ask him to shine his light in those areas of your life. Um, Ask God to reveal how he calls you to serve or follow him in the here and now. Are there schedules that need to change, life changes that need to be made, relationships that need to be let go or established? Right? Or spend some time to talk with God about some things you have trouble understanding between the gospel and the world. Pray that he will reveal the grace and the truth of the glory of Christ to you. Thank you.